It's great to be here this morning. I want to give a, a special welcome if you are here for the, the first time. Please uh, do not rush off after the service. You're here for the first time. Make sure you, uh, as you head out on the doors to the left, you get a free drink of your choice. You get to meet one of the pastors. And uh, we'd like to say hello and make this house your home. But it's great to be here. I just want to get straight into the word. If you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Mark chapter 3? Mark chapter 3, we're going to be reading from verses uh, 1 to 5. Uh, don't worry if you didn't bring your Bibles, it should be on the screen behind me. But Mark chapter 3 says, Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it just a day for doing evil? Is it a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. So Jesus looked around at them angrily and was deeply deeply saddened by the hardness of their hearts. Then he, said to them, then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. This morning I want to speak on the title. Now I'm going to need you to help me preach this. I haven't been able to do this since COVID. So especially if you're a young person, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, watch the flex. Watch the flex. If, do you know that term? To flex, the, the term to flex has a couple of different meanings. You, you will be familiar with the first meaning, which is to stretch out. If you are to, to flex your arm, you are to stretch out your, your arm. But it can also mean to, to show off, to brag. And so if you are going to flex your car, it means you want to show off your car. And we live in a world where people are, are always trying to flex on others. I mean, they're trying to flex their homes, they're trying to flex their jobs, their wealth. Even social media has become a flexing platform where we try to show off the restaurants we've just eaten to, the, the latest holidays, our lifestyles. I mean, if we're not careful, this culture can creep into the church where we try to flex our giftings. We, we try to flex the knowledge of the word and, and we even try to show off our prayer life. You know, you know and, and if you're not careful, it can be easy to, to fall in this trap of, of, of buying the latest things just to impress others. And this is especially the case in the sneaker, in the shoe community. Can I teach you something about shoes? Because if you know me, you know I, I like my shoes. And uh, uh, in, in the, the shoe community, people will, will always try to get the latest shoes just so they can flex on others. Just so they can try to, to impress I mean, it's one thing to buy a shoe because you like it, and it's another thing to buy it just because you want to impress someone. It no longer becomes about wearing the shoe as does the status the shoe gives. And this community believes the more expensive the shoe, the greater the flex. And so they'll do whatever it takes to get the latest, most expensive shoe. So because of this, uh, the, the shoe community is something that drives them insane, and it is called fake flexing. Fake flexing. Fake flexing is when you intentionally buy a replica or a fake shoe just to impress other people, just to make it look like you have the most expensive shoe. So you, you will go out of your way to, to get a version of what the shoe looks like, but what you're actually doing is, is fake flexing. And what you really are doing is actually you're flexing something that is unauthentic. I know some of you are thinking, why is this preacher talking about the unheathen things of this world? And what does this have to do with Mark chapter 3? Well, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus is dealing with two groups. One group 
is the Pharisees and they are fake flexing. They are using the Sabbath laws to act superior, but actually they're unauthentic. They're having an appearance of godliness, but denying its real power. And on the other hand, Jesus is dealing with a man who has nothing to flex. He doesn't yet know how to live in God's power. Jesus is trying to deal with one man who can't stretch out his hand and another group who won't open their hearts. So Jesus has come to confront the symptoms to deal with the system. He has come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so Jesus sees, sees this man in the synagogue, a man with a deformed hand. I kind of prefer the New King James Version, which says a man with a withered hand, a a withered hand. His hand had become so shriveled and dried up, he can no longer use it. Many Bible scholars and commentaries have suggested that it was his right hand. The reason this is important is because the right hand was the hand of honor. It was the hand of blessing. It was your significant hand. To make matters worse, it was the hand that you would use for your job. It was the hand you would work with. So it's possible this man would have had trouble working, which means he probably would have been in some sort of financial difficulty. And so can you imagine the the, the shame, the pain, the frustration, even despair this man would have felt? Maybe thinking, what is my place in society if I can't work? If I only have one good hand, I don't have the hand of favor. I'm not going to be in a place of honor, in a place of blessing. I guess I'm going to be stuck in this place of shame, in this place of no hope. And, And I wonder if that's why this man got accustomed to living with his withered hand. It says that this man was in the synagogue. The synagogue was the place the Jews would go to regularly worship. It was part of their routine. This man is carrying on with his regular routine despite his withered hand. Now, he probably thought, I have no choice. This is, I just got to get used to it. And I mean, I know it's not ideal, but it's not that bad because I can get around with a withered hand. And so maybe at first the hand bothered him. But now over time, he's got used to it. Now over time, it's become part of his life because when you live with something long enough, eventually it becomes part of you. What was once irregular now becomes regular and routine. And so this man is learning. He has adjusted to learn to live with a withered hand. I wonder how many of us can relate to having a withered hand. Something that was significant in your life, but is now withered. Who who am I talking to this morning where you feel there are areas in your life that have dried up? Maybe for some it's that relationship with a friend or a loved one. You didn't want to hold on to that bitterness, but now it's been five years and you're still holding on to bitterness and jealousy. Maybe for someone it's that addiction. You only went to it to escape the pressures of life, but, but now you're stuck in a stronghold in a cycle. Maybe for some, it's, it's our walk with God. We, we, it only started off as a small rut, but now we haven't been able to read our Bible to pray, and it's been months, maybe even years. It could be a marriage, an emotional state, an aspiration. It has become withered, and now you feel ashamed because it started off as something abnormal. At first, it was a bit unusual, but now you've learned to get used to it. And so now you think, I'm going to have to learn to live with it. I'll never be able to love again. I'll never be able to to forgive. I'll never break free. I got to get used to living with this withered 
hand. I wonder if this is how that man felt in the synagogue. But it says, as he was in the synagogue, Jesus notices this man. Despite the whole crowd, Jesus sees this man. The man with the withered hand. The man who only has one good hand. Jesus sees this man. And Jesus has come to deal with his pain. To cover his shame. And to heal and restore his hand. And I want to let you know and encourage you this morning that Jesus sees your hand and he has come to heal your hand. Jesus has come to heal what has been withered, what has dried up. Jesus is here to restore your marriage, to restore you into purpose, to restore you into hope. That's why Luke 19 says Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And we serve a God who has come to set us free and restore that which is broken. We serve a God who can take what has been withered and make it whole. And so Jesus comes to this man to heal his hand. And verse 2 says, The Pharisees were watching Jesus closely, ready to accuse him for healing on the Sabbath. See, the Pharisees were already mad at Jesus because in Mark chapter 2, his disciples were, were in the field. They were picking a grain to eat. And the Pharisees believed they were breaking Sabbath laws. And so uh, they're mad because Jesus hasn't done anything about it. So this time they get ready to accuse Jesus. And rather than witness the miracle that is about to unfold, they want to judge Jesus' actions. They, They have already made a judgment of Jesus and what he can do. And so now they've come ready to accuse him. I want to ask you, did you come this morning ready to witness what God wants to do? Or did you come ready to judge what he wants to do? I mean, have you already determined in your mind what God can or cannot do? And so now you're missing what he wants to do. Because I think for some of us, we have already had a judgment, a belief of who God is, of what he can do. And so we come looking to confirm what we already believe is true. It's called confirmation bias. It is when you have already determined a belief, and so you look for evidence to support what you already believe is true. You make a judgment, and you look for evidence to prove that judgment correct. And maybe there are some of us here this morning, we actually have a belief, we have a bias about this church. We could be here right now and have a belief. Let me give you an example. You could have a belief, a bias, that I don't like big churches because big churches don't take care of their people. They don't care for their congregation. So you come to church and after the service, you rush off, you get in your car, you go to eat your food and you say, see, no one spoke to me. No one noticed me. They don't care about me. And then maybe you think, you know what, I'm going to give them one more chance. So you go back to the next service. You, this time you don't rush off. You stay there. People say hi. They say, hey, have you heard about a C group? Have you heard about the serving teams? You leave the church and say, man, see, these people just wanted me to join a team. They just wanted to use me. They don't care about the real me. I mean, we have biases about everything. Can I be honest? I have a bias about my wife. I know I said this before, but, but I think she's, she's messy and she'll never change. And I remember I said to her, before, before we were getting married, I said, okay, what's one thing I can do to accommodate for you? And I said, and she said, what's one thing? So I said, her car was really messy. I said, just clean the car. That will give me hope. That will give me some light that you're going to keep this house clean. Just, just, just one thing. And so she said, okay. And, and I gave her a week. It came to the Monday and the car was still messy. I said, I knew it. I already had a judgment. It comes Tuesday, Wednesday. And, and I hadn't seen her for a couple of days. So I'm getting ready. I'd already made a judgment that car was going to be messy. I was getting ready to come in that car to say, shout and say, see, I knew you're never going to be clean. I got there and the car was clean. 
God, God can do miracles. And, and I think we make judgments, we have biases about, about our, our jobs, about our friends, about our spouses, about church. We even have judgments about God. We, we make judgments of what God can or can't do, and so we miss out on what he wants to do. So we say, see, God doesn't care about me, that's why he let me get hurt. God doesn't love me. That's why I didn't get that job. See, God doesn't even exist. That's why my family member died. And rather than witness what God wants to do, we come ready to judge him. And when you come with a judgment on what God can do, you limit and even miss out on what he wants to do in your life because you have closed your heart. You have closed your heart. See, the Pharisees, they had closed their hearts to Jesus, so they came ready to judge what he was gonna do, and they missed out on Jesus. They missed out on what he wanted to see. Jesus was trying to deal with the man whose hand had become dry and hard, but he was also trying to deal with a group who had hard hearts, and their dry and hard hearts was just a representation of the man's dry and hard hand, but only one person received their miracle that day. The the Pharisees missed out on what Jesus was going to do because they had closed their hearts. I want to ask you, have you closed your hearts to what God wants to do this morning? Have you come ready to judge rather than witness what God wants to do? I don't know about you, but, but I, I wanna be a witness. I wanna have a soft heart. I wanna be open for anything that God wants to do in my life. And I wanna say, God, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it doesn't look the way I want, God, I'm gonna choose to witness what you are doing. Witness the miracle unfold rather than judge. See, that's what faith is because the world tells us once you see it, then you believe it. But faith is having the belief even if you don't yet see it. And so I choose to put my trust in God even when it doesn't make sense. I say, God, despite what the report says, God, despite if I don't have the answers, despite if things don't go my way, I choose to put my faith in you. I choose to put my trust in you. And my belief is that all things work together. Not some things, not when only the things go my way, but all things work together to those who love him and to those who are called according to his name. Come on, where's your, where's your trust in? What, what have you come into this church already believing that you already shut yourself off to God? I want to keep a, an open heart to say, God, I want to be ready for whatever you want to do. I would rather witness than be a judge. The Pharisees wanted to, to, to judge what Jesus was going to do and, and try and stop him from healing this man. And you know, if we're not careful... Not only will we judge what God wants to do in our lives, but we'll, we'll start to judge what God can do in other people's lives. You know, we, we read the Bible and we think, man, how could the Pharisees not want Jesus to heal a man? That's so simple, like it's obvious. But sometimes we can judge what God wants to do in other people's lives. And, and we can almost play the role of God and, and, and judge God for what he is doing. And you know what we do? We get our magnifying glasses of life to, to, to try to watch closely and judge God. See, I brought a magnifying glass with me. Anyone who knows a magnifying glass, it will magnify, it will zoom in what you are looking at. And I think some of us, we, we like to go around, I'll hold my head up sometimes, where, where we take our magnifying glasses and we want to judge what God is doing in other people's lives. And so we say, God, why are you using them? Do you know what they did last week? God, why are you using them? They, why are you blessing them? They don't even tithe. God, you're telling me you're going to put them on the stage? I've never seen them come to a prayer meeting. 
God, how can this guy, how can this guy preach a message? He's got rips in his jeans. He's probably, this man is probably not even holy. And so we judge and we, we magnify our glasses. We look in it and, and I don't know about you, but I, I found myself doing it. I'm exposing my heart to you. Sometimes I've taken my magnifying glass and say, God, how could you do that? How could you do that? You know the antidote for judging? What God is going to do? Change your instrument. Because you've been picking up a magnifying glass. Pick up a mirror. You know what a mirror does? It looks at yourself. And I want to tell you, when I, when I look at a mirror, I can't see what God is doing in other people's lives because I'm just focused on me. And guess what? James 1 says the Bible is a mirror. And when I get into this mirror, it tells me what I need to change about myself. It shows me I need to be focusing on what God wants to do in my life instead of judging what he can do in someone else's. It's time to change your instrument. Because I would rather witness what the presence of God wants to do in my life than judge what he can do in someone else's. Have you come ready to witness or have you come ready to judge? The Pharisees, they wanted to judge Jesus for healing this man on the Sabbath. And now if you remember, the Sabbath, what is the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath was God's gift to the people to rest. They were to work six days, but on the seventh day, rest. So the Sabbath was the day of rest. It was their reminder to, to rest in God's work instead of their own. And the, the, the purpose, the reason and the context for this gift was, was for the purpose of resting in God's work. But the Pharisees, they twisted the Sabbath laws and, and they were imposing uh, laws on people that were ridiculous. They would rather the disciples go hungry than pick a grain in the field because it was the Sabbath. They would rather this man stay in his condition with a withered hand then be healed because it was the Sabbath. And actually what they were doing is by imposing these ridiculous laws, they were actually making people work for their rest instead of resting in God's work. So, so and, and they were twisting the, the Sabbath, the gift of the Sabbath, so for their own agenda because they just wanted to flex on people. They want to show people, look how good I am. I can seemingly uphold Sabbath laws. But really what they were doing is they were fake flexing. They were being unauthentic because they were denying the true power of the Sabbath. And so they, they twisted the gift that God gave them. And by doing so, they were twisting the word of God for their own agenda, for their own preference. I want to ask you, do you twist the word of God for your own agenda, for your own preference? If you remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Paul preached the message on the king and the prince. And he talked about the written word of God and how it is under attack how people are trying to change and trying to dismiss the word of God. And I think if we aren't careful, it can be so easy for us to dismiss and even twist the word for our own agenda, for, for our own preference. And you know what I, I think we do? We, we play pick and mix Christianity. You know what that is, right? Where you go to a sweet store, I'm sure we've all done it, pick up some sweets, pick the sweets we like, and we leave the ones we don't. And so we only ever take, we only ever bring home the sweets we like. Well, we do the same with the Bible. We pick and mix the verses that we like, that speak to us, that maybe that soothe us, so we can recite and quote Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a, a, a hope. Praise you, Jesus. We love you. We serve a great God. And then we want to dismiss the verses that say Matthew 16, 24, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and come follow me. No, no, I don't agree with them. That was a little bit too difficult. Let me just stick with Jeremiah 29, 11. And so we, we pick the truths that we agree with and we dismiss the ones we don't. But either the Bible is fully true, 
So this is where we have to come, come to conclusion because there are no in-betweens with this book. God doesn't play pick and mix with his word. Just to let you know that God doesn't play pick and mix with his word. Either this whole book, not one or two verses, this whole book is fully true and it is the written word of God and you live it out or it isn't. And so we can't play pick and mix. We can't choose one truth and leave the other. We can't twist the word of God because when we twist the word of God for our own agenda, we start to serve the very gift that was meant to serve us. The Pharisees twisted the word of God and they ended up serving the Sabbath even though the Sabbath was meant to serve them. That's why Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath was meant to bring rest. You weren't supposed to work for your rest. And because, because they, they twisted the word of God, they started serving the very thing that was meant to serve them. And you know what? When, when we start to, to twist the word of God, you know what we really do? We start to dismiss its truth. And when you start to dismiss the written truth of God, you start to serve the creation over the creator. You get so obsessed about the creation, you forget about the one who created it in the first place. That's what Paul talks about in Romans. Romans chapter one, he's talking about a people who are not worshiping him, or not worshiping God, and because they've dismissed the truth. Verse 24 says that, that, that they traded the truth of God for a lie. And so God allowed them to worship and serve the things God created rather than God himself. He allowed them to fulfill the desires of their flesh and their lies because they dismissed the truth of who God was. I don't know about you, but I find that powerful and at the same time scary because it was when they dismissed the truth, when they dismissed the word of God, then they started to serve the creation over the creator, gift over the giver. And this is what we see with the Pharisees. They missed out on who Jesus was. Jesus was and still is the living embodiment of the Sabbath. Jesus is our rest. But the Pharisees had dismissed the word of God so much so that they were more focused on following Sabbath laws than they were about the one who gave the law. They were so focused on the gift more than the God who gave the gift. They were so focused on the creation that they missed out on the creator. I, I want to ask you, have you been caught serving the creation? Creation. Now you're, you're missing the creator because you have dismissed the truth of his word. Is it possible that, that you have been serving money instead of money serving you because you've dismissed 1 Timothy 6.10, which says the love of money is the root of all evil. Maybe, maybe you've been caught up in serving after men's validation because you dismissed Galatians 1.10, which says, if I were to be chasing after men's approval, I would no longer be a servant of God. I have to check my heart on this one, but maybe you're chasing after materialism, more shoes, more clothes, more cars, more of this, because you've been dismissing Matthew 6, 19, which says, do not store up treasures here on earth where moths and thieves can destroy and steal it, but store up treasures in heaven. Have you been caught up in a cycle of serving something that was meant to serve you? Caught up in a cycle of unforgiveness and bitterness. Caught in a cycle of selfishness. In a cycle of impurity because you have dismissed the truth. His word says that his truth will set us free. And the word of God has come to bring us freedom. Has come to bring us rest. But the Pharisees missed it because they dismissed the very thing that was meant to bring them rest. They got so focused on working for rest that they missed out on their rest. They were so focused on the, the creation that they missed out on the creator. 
Have we dismissed the truth so much so that we've been caught up serving the creation and we missed out on the creator? So Jesus looks at them, saddened by the hardness of their hearts, and he turns to the man with a withered hand, and he tells him to come forward in front of everyone. Jesus is going to heal his hand, but uh, he's going to do it in public. Have you ever wondered why Jesus did that? Because as I was reading, I was like, why did Jesus do that? Because he could have healed this man's hand after the service was done. He could have taken this man aside or he could have done it in private as to not embarrass this man so no one else sees and then he could have healed him. But Jesus chose to do it in public. Why? Well, to understand that, we, we have to understand what, what was going on and I'm gonna try to make sure I don't overcomplicate this theologically. But at that time, the people were living under the law. Jesus comes to, to fulfill the law, but he comes to fulfill it through grace and they were living under the law. The law was, uh, came from God and it came through Moses. It was like the Ten Commandments. And the law was a reflection of who God was and his character. That's why it says, do not lie because God doesn't lie. Do not murder because God doesn't murder. The law was a way for God's people not to live according to the world, but according to his standards, according to, to be set apart to him. And the law was meant to be more than just a list of rules and don'ts and regulations. The law was meant to be a covenant, a relationship between God and his people but we failed to keep the covenant. We, we couldn't stay holy like God. We couldn't stay in keeping with his character. So instead of the law bringing us closer to God, the law just exposed our sin. It exposed our weakness. And when something is exposed, when you don't live up to the mark, when you're not hitting the, the standard, you can try and hide it, can't you? Especially when it's a hand. Because this man, he, he has a withered hand. It, it was easier for him to try and hide his hand. I mean, it can be easy to try and hide it when you feel so ashamed, when you feel like you don't live up to the mark, when you feel like no one else will know as long as I hide it, it can be easy to try and hide a hand. It can be easy to try and hide a hand. I'm just wondering if I can call, call the band up. It can be easy to try and hide those thoughts. And so you can think to yourself, no one will ever know the torment of the suicidal thoughts I'm facing right now. No one will ever know about the grudges that I'm holding on to. No one will ever know about, about the, the regret of my past decisions. No one will ever know. And because it's just a hand, I can hide it and I can get used to living with it. I can get used to living with a hand. I can get used to living with, with this shame, with this pain, with this addiction. It's just a hand. And so Jesus comes to this man and he brings him out in public because Jesus wants to deal with the shame that this hand brought to the man. See, because for so long this man had been hiding what had become shameful, had been hiding what had become embarrassing to him. So Jesus calls him out. He could have done it in private, but Jesus calls him out in public because he wants to deal with the shame of this hand. But Jesus doesn't just want to deal with the shame. Jesus wants to heal his hand because grace doesn't just deal with the shame of our sin, but grace empowers us to live a life free of sin. Grace is God's empowerment to live according to the truth of the word of God. The law pointed out the problem, but grace is the solution. Because under the law, we obey to gain God's acceptance. But under grace, we obey because we have been accepted. Under the law, we worked for our rest. But under grace, we rest in God's work. The law exposed our sin, but grace came to end sin once and for all. And Jesus comes to this man and says, I want to bring my grace to show you, you don't 
don't have to live with that hand anymore. You don't have to keep hiding what's shameful. You don't have to keep hiding that sin, those secret things that no one ever knows. You don't have to get used to living with it. Grace is not permission to sin, but it is the power to obey. And under grace, we don't have to hide the hand. Under grace, I don't even have to live with this hand anymore. I don't have to live with the withered hand. Jesus didn't just deal with the shame and say, okay, go on. No, he dealt with the shame and he set this man free. He restored his hand. Sometimes we think, God, I can come to church as long as I hide my real struggles. I'm okay to go to a secret. I'm okay to pray as long as I, I, I hide that secret thing. I'm okay, but I, got, I guess I gotta get used to, to that mindset. I gotta get used to that rejection. I gotta get used to that insecurity. I gotta get used to that addiction. And we worked so hard to hide what Jesus came to set us free from. And so Jesus comes to the man and say, my grace has brought you freedom. My grace has come to bring you rest. And my grace is going to empower you to stretch out the hand that you never thought you could stretch out before. Grace is here to not just deal with the shame of the hand, but so that you can stretch out the same hand that had been hide, that you've been hiding, that has been embarrassing you for so long. What, what is God asking you to stretch out this morning? Because grace is here not just to deal with your bitterness, but it's here to empower you to forgive those who've hurt you. Grace is here not just to deal with your guilt, but it's here to empower you to live free from the cycles of bondage. Grace is here not just to deal with your past, but to call you into purpose. His grace empowers us to do what we can't do in our own strength. To stretch out what we thought we could never stretch out before. To love like we never thought we could love. To trust like ne we never thought we could trust. To obey like we never thought we could obey. And as the man stretches out his hand, he is restored. The hand that once brought shame. The hand that was once withered and dried up. As he stretches it out, his hand in a moment is set free and restored. This is the power of grace. Come on, what do you need God's grace for this morning? What do you need his empowerment for this morning? What do you say, God, I can't do this in my own strength. I've been caught up in a cycle. I've been caught up in serving the very thing that was meant to serve me. God, I don't even have grace to live the truth in your word. God, I need your grace. I want to live in your grace. I come ready to witness what you want to do. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, if you're here this morning, you say, I want to live in God's grace to help me do what I can't do, to help me forgive, to help me love, to help me to actually be the person God has called me to do. With every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you, just raise your hands. I want to see who I'm praying for. That's great. Thank you. Thank you at the back. Anyone else? If you're here and you're just saying, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. You're like, God, thank you. I want your grace to do what I can't do in my own strength. That's great, thank you. All across the room. Come on, why don't we just stand as we get ready to praise his name. His grace is here to empower you. And can, I, can I share one more thing? Because this, this is my favorite part of the scripture. I'm finishing, I'm finishing. This is my favorite part. As Jesus has come to bring rest on the day that is supposed to be rest to the man who can't find any rest. And as, as this man stretches out his hand, his, his hand is restored. Guess where the man stretched out his hand? In public, in front of everyone. Guess what? As, as everyone was watching, this man stretched out what he could never do before. 
because of Jesus, because of the grace of God, everyone got to watch this man's flex. And, and, and now I know, now, now I understand why Jesus flexed his arms on the cross because now I can flex mine. I am a flex to the grace of God because he has restored me. This is the message of the gospel that Jesus came because I was once dead to my sin. I was lost to the power of sin and death. But when Jesus stretched out his hands, he redeemed me. He restored me. He broke the power of sin and death. And because he stretched out his hands, I can stretch mine. Because he stretched out his hands, I can walk free from sin. I can walk free from addiction. I can walk free from, from all those anxieties. Because of the grace of God, because of his flex, I can flex mine. See, this is what you got to tell some people. So when someone comes to you and gets ready to judge you, when the enemy comes to remind you of your past, when the enemy comes to tempt you, this is what you got to say, right? You ready? This is what you got to say. Hey, enemy, watch the flex. Watch the flex because I am a flex of the grace of God. His grace empowers me. His grace restores me. His grace has set me free and I don't have to hide what the law exposed because his grace came to end it once and for all. Watch how I flex. My worship is a flex. My service is a flex. My love is a flex to the grace and power of God. Watch the flex. God, we come before you this morning. We say thank you. Because you stretched out your arms, we can stretch ours. Because you brought your grace, we can live in your grace. And I pray this morning, God, for all of us here who have responded to the word, those online who are responding, say, God, yes, I want to live in your grace. I want to live in your empowerment, God, to do what I can't do in my own strength, God. We, we say, God, we want to live in your grace. And as your spirit lives in us, as your spirit resides in us, God, help us to walk in your grace, to walk into the truths of the word of God. We are going to stand for what is right. We are going to stand for what is true. God, I pray for grace for every single one of us as we go back into to our colleges and to our universities and to, and to our workplaces, God. Grace to stand out and be a light, God. Grace, God, to forgive. Grace to be the people you've called us to be light and salt, God. We want to be a, a, a representation of your grace. And anytime someone comes to us, God, to try to accuse us. Anytime the enemy comes, because he's an accuser and he wants to remind us of the past, remind us of what we've done wrong, we say, watch the flex. Come on, in your own spirit, however you want to do it, you just say, watch the flex. I'm flexing the grace of God. If there's anything I'm going to boast about, if there's anything I'm going to get excited about, it's the grace of God because he saved me. He redeemed me. Watch the flex. Thank you for that word, Pastor Jesse.